Hello, and welcome to the Day One Dreams podcast. I'm your host, Patrice Jenkins. This is a place where we roll back success stories to their early days, those first small steps, or the beginning of the beginning. When we learn how someone got started, we learn how to bridge that gap between where we are and what we want to accomplish. We're going to have an opportunity to see that in play today with my guest, who is Anique Sarah Taylor. Anique is a poet and an artist. She's the Blue Light Poetry Prize winner. She's published a collection of poems with titled Where Space Bends, and that's with the Finishing Line Press. Anique has an impressive list of accomplishments, and I'm going to touch on just a few, such as co-authoring works for HBO, Scholastic, Simon & Schuster, and a three-act play performed by Playwrights Horizon and Williamstown Players. She's achieved the finalist award for several of her poems and chapbooks. She teaches creative writing and conducts workshops on poetry. And in addition to all that, there's another side that's all about the artist that Anika is. And her beautiful artwork can be seen on her websites, which she'll share with us. And they have been featured in solo shows, group shows, and galleries around the nation. Welcome, Anik. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. I'm so excited to be here with you. Thank you. It was nice. Anik and I met when we took last fall a podcast workshop together with Seth Godin. And so both of us arrived there with an interest in how podcasting might be able to further our work. We're both at the early stages of this, and it was nice to meet someone who has a story and is willing to share it on my show. So Nick, I mentioned just a few things. Is there anything else you'd like to add to that that's in, important and, and fun for our listeners to know about you right now? Well, a few surprising things that weren't in those is I was also a therapist and I was also a children's performer. Almost everything I have done started with some kind of a flash and fear and inspiration all at once. And so that's that's come across almost everything I've done. I like that. You were mentioning some of the other things you've done. What I have found with other guests is where they land today, while it might look different from where they started, that there are many different uh, experiences, jobs, degrees, whatever, all kind of prepared them for, for what they're doing right now. Would you say that's true for you? I do think, and I think in writing, everything you are and have been or have not been becomes material and part of it. And one of the wonderful things about writing is your failures are as interesting as your successes. That's a very good point, because being a writer myself, I know how vulnerable I feel when I put writing out there. I write. I don't consider myself a writer. There's a difference in my mind. That's an interesting point because there are many wonderful writers and actually writers that the world considers writers who don't consider themselves a writer. Mm. Um, how ego interplays with being a writer is kind of also very fascinating and that sometimes one thing that prevents people from writing is they don't feel confident, they don't feel secure, they keep having this spark, but they don't follow it. And they try and feel better before they start. 
And some of the most wonderful writers in the world never feel confident because in a way you're up against the ultimate. So you have a lot of experience with writing. Can we roll back your story to some of the starts when someone has accomplished what you have and been selected for awards and featured in things? What did that look like at the beginning? I know you studied it in college and you have a master's in fine arts. And so you certainly have done the academic end of it. That said, there's still a whole lot to just making something happen from the very beginning step. You know, I I gave this a lot of thought and I kept going back to a day when I was four years old and a, a bully started saying, well, you don't deserve to exist. And I thought, well, that started me thinking, well, do I? What does one do here? And I remember looking up at the sky and thinking, well, what if I wrote? That might be very important because I could tell people things. I was always creative. I learned how to type when I was 11 so that I could write things. And I wrote poetry and essays for, for years. But I couldn't quite gear in, in in the way that I felt was viable. Just something was missing, and I didn't know what it was. Being a full-time artist, so that was, but it didn't feel like the truest self of me. And I was in my 60s, and I was feeling a little bit of, to the side of myself. It's hard to describe So when I was in college, I would write a poem and I would rewrite it and rewrite it. And then I would read it to everyone on the hall. (laughs) I would torture them with my beginning poems. In my 60s, I finally found a friend who had been one of my roommates because she had married and I couldn't find her. And we were going to have a meeting and a visit. And she said, I'm going on vacation. As soon as I get back, we will follow up on everything. She had a very bad accident, and she died. And I hadn't seen her or heard from her in decades. And I was inconsolable, and I kept weeping and weeping, and I was driving and weeping, and I was thinking about when we were roommates, and I was playing the guitar, and I was making her listen to my poem. It didn't seem to measure that the amount of grief didn't seem to match. And then I finally realized that I was actually grieving for the 20-year-old who wanted more than anything to be a poet. And I thought, I'm in my 60s. What am I doing? And I immediately signed up for a night course at Sarah Lawrence with Joan Larkin, who was a spectacular teacher. And I wanted more and more and more. And she said, are you interested in an MFA program? I said, I am, but it has to be local. I have, um, at the time, I had a five-pound rescue poodle who could not be left alone. So I applied to the college that Joan suggested. I got two recommendations for my dog because I couldn't go without my dog. She was had so many issues. She was only five pounds. The head of the college called me and she said, Anik, we've accepted your dog. If your poems pass, we will take you. (laughs) 
let's just unpack this a little bit here this <laughs> because i didn't know this part of your story i i can see you know from what's what's on your website and so on your publications i didn't realize this started in your 60s at a moment in which you realized there was a past self that needed to be expressed that's fascinating well, it is and a lot on my resume happened before that but there was a part of me that, if I died in my 90s, I had stayed an artist, which should have been wonderful and everything. And yet there was a self in me that was more central, that just writing on my own wasn't enough to find it. So at this school, it was only poetry. It, it didn't have memoir and nonfiction and fiction. All of the teachers were poets. It was so hard. And I almost dropped out a few times. One of my teachers, Mahela Maskalut, said, I am going to make sure that you get through this. I'm going to back for you. And these Teachers were the most amazing teachers in the world. By the time I left, I was deep into projects that connected. And what was very strange, even as an artist, when the work was going so well, it felt a little bit off. The writing, even when I was doing really bad work, I felt I was in the truest place. That might not be true for everyone. For a lot of people, there are many, many, many options that are really good for them. But this was just my story. I appreciate hearing the instructor that said, I'm going to get you through this. It reminds me of what I've heard from so many successful starters, and that's the value of having cheerleaders. Having someone in the court that's not going to let you renege on yourself. We need those people. We do. And actually, those the group of teachers, so many of them have kept in touch and have cheered me and other students on. So I, I felt that in that educational experience was so precious to me that my early one, you know, I was so rebellious that I dropped out of school over and over and then graduated with honors. It was very crazy. But this was a beautiful experience and I felt very privileged that I could do it. And so that's when I started teaching for writers in the mountains, which is upstate. A lot of people couldn't do something like that for many, many reasons. And so what I did was I brought graduate level classes that were semester long to community to a community school. And I felt that that community classes are an opportunity for a very, very high level of education. And often they're not used that way. When you started all this, even when you answered that call that you felt deep down that uh, I need to bring out that poet in me, probably at that moment, you didn't imagine being able to teach other people to take them to that level. We start with one piece and gradually we add more pieces to it, but we don't need to have that full-fledged version when we first start, because even if we had an idea of what that might be, 
it seems so overwhelming that it paralyzes us from getting started. It does. What was interesting is I thought so much about starting. And then I thought for a writer, it's almost a continual start. A book can sometimes come in a flash and then take years to write. Am I going to do this? I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. I I can't write. I, so many times I sat in front of somebody and said, I can't write. But I tell my students, don't listen to your feelings. Just start. And then the hope is that once you begin, once you take that that first spark of inspiration or no inspiration, but you start the project, no matter what's going on in your head, that then it goes into curiosity, interest. And I think that there's going to be something going on in your mind anyway at the start. But what's true is that desire and no matter what what good sense is telling you, don't listen to that. Listen to the desire because you wouldn't have the desire to start if you didn't have some kind of ability. And if you don't have the ability yet, you can just go and grow it. And one of my least favorite words is talent. People say, do you have talent? It's like you're intelligent, you're sensitive, you'll learn the craft. And then afterwards, people will come back and say, oh, you're so talented. Right, right. It's not the direction that you think it is. The talent leads to one. I love what you said about, well, I think of it as be curious about the desire. So if you have this desire, you might not even understand why, but be curious about it. It, it makes me think of a project I'm working on with my sister right now. We are just starting to create a company that is fabric and wallpaper design. It's so different. Well, it's not totally different because I have an undergraduate degree in textiles and clothing and I always sewed a lot, but it's so different than what I've been doing in the last 15 years. And yet I found myself saving these images of, of, of people doing something. I can't even tell exactly what they're doing, but I'm drawn into it. And now that I'm working in Adobe Illustrator and learning some of that, I realized, oh, that person in that image is probably doing something like that because that's what I look like as I work on this now. So I'm just curious why I'm so interested in this and I'm following that thread. Yeah, and that's what the talent is, is the interest and the desire to follow it. And, you know, your mind will say all sorts of things or it won't, but if you follow it, it will gain substance and what it needs. And if it falls off, you've just done some wonderful work anyway. That's okay. right. I, I call that. I think it's better to, instead of wonder if something will work out, find out how it works out. Mm -hmm. So when you find out how it works out, you have, you have that, your story, you have your beginning and your end and you know, but when we just wonder how it would have worked out, we build this big fantasy about how great we would have been. And that's, we mourn something that's probably not even true in the first place. So one of the times I dropped out of college, I was an assistant teacher in a preschool Montessori and we had since they were diaper trained, we got them. So we had from two to six-year-olds. And we saw our job as teachers in the afternoon after they left. 
we would talk about each student and we would say what interested them. We would, our job was to identify the beginning spark in each child in an ongoing way. And once we saw what turned them on, we would feed them materials, get involved with them. We couldn't stop them from working because they were so interested. So, so be a kid again, be, be you know, observant of where those sparks are. Yes, always watch for the smallest spark that sometimes they're so small and identify them and just say, what is that? And they'll keep coming back. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then you grow from that and, and feed it material. Yes, I love that. Especially thinking of it through the lens of a child. It's pretty easy to identify in children, but as we get older, we lose sort of a sense of what that is in us. It, it falls in the background and we have to excavate it a little bit. That's one thing that led me <clears throat> to my daily practice is in the beginning, stuff was getting in the way and I wouldn't get to writing. And I said, you know, if you want to finish that first book, you got to turn up. So I start. I wasn't a morning person. I started setting my alarm at five in the morning. I get up and say, I can't write. I don't know what I'm doing. There's no good. And what happened, that was just because there was stuff happening in my life business that I couldn't get around. So it was a bad thing. And, but it pushed me into this early. And the gift was one of the greatest gifts in my life is that you show up. And then it's your ego, I'm no good, or I'm the greatest in the world. Neither serves you. And what happened is after a few weeks, it felt like this dark morning envelope where every morning was a new start. And I would look at what was happening. And instead of thinking, I'm good, I'm not good, I would get interested in what was going on with the work. And I'd ask questions, can I change this? Would this be more, would this metaphor work? Would this happen? What would happen here? What would happen there? And I fell in love with the process. Every morning I get up and I fall in love with the process again. And so what had been ambition turned to devotion. And my craft really has grown because of that. Ambition to devotion. In other words, creating a whole practice around it. Very nice. So that that. way you're in the, the depth of development, which is actually the gift is, is loving the process. One question I'd like to ask toward the end of uh, an episode is, what if you never started? And for you, I I just want to roll back that question to your 60s at that moment when you lost your friend and over the period of grieving, identified that with this greater loss of of what you hadn't become. What if you just said, I'm too old. There's no point in applying to this program. They're not going to want someone like me. What if you never did that? And if I were 100 on my deathbed and hadn't done it, I would say, I still don't know what's missing. I could 
die tomorrow and say I didn't have enough time to finish the work, but I was in the right place. There, there was a sense of coming into a rightness of myself that I never dreamed could happen. I'm always thankful for that. That is that is so beautiful. And I think for our listeners, for me, I can say it makes me that much more want to pay attention to what I'm drawn to, what I'm curious about, things I would like to try. Who knows what's waiting behind that door? Knock on it, open it, find out. And never let age or anything else stop you. And don't assume that everyone's getting the same sparks. The sparks you get are yours and don't discount them. Yeah, you're right. You know, especially when something comes pretty naturally to us, we think, well, it's not that hard. Anyone can do this, but it's actually because we're designed for it that it appears easy and everyone can't do it. Right. Don't let it being easy get in the way. <laughs> it's true. That does stop some people. That's a really good point. Don't let, <laughs> don't let too easy get in the way. We've talked about don't let too hard get in the way, but you're right. Sometimes it's not that hard. We just need to get started. And people discount it. Oh, that thing. You're, you're completely right about that. Another thing I sometimes get stuck on is like, well, everybody's doing it. And for instance, going back to our, our uh, fabric design, there are a whole lot of people doing it, but, but I haven't done it. I need to do it. And two, it hasn't been done by me. So the stuff out there is, hasn't been done by me. And there is an opportunity there for, you know, to explore that idea. We're, we're just so wonderful at creating blocks, but you know, there are billion, billions of people on the planet. Everybody's done everything. So I truly believe that we get these sparks for a purpose. I've talked a lot about sort of that gut feeling and the science behind that, that really our gut is described as our second brain. We need to to listen you know, to that intuition. This has been really enjoyable. And I've had some nice surprises during this call that has made it even that much more rich. Anik, where can people find you if, if they want to see your writing, your art, or connect with you? I'm working on the website, but it's up aniquesarataylor.com. And soon I'll even have recordings of readings and things. But my uh, first book is up. My second book is going to be printed in the next few weeks, I think. And there'll be poetry that you can read. Also a way to get in touch with me for workshops and things like that. Anique taylor.com is my artwork all right i will put those two websites in our show notes uh some people know the correct spelling and can easily connect that way we have like a couple minutes is there a question you were hoping i would ask that i didn't and if not that's okay too i just don't want to leave you with something like gosh i was hoping to talk about what about your next project so what are your next projects me I have, but sometimes a book comes to me in a flash, the idea, and then it takes years to write. And I have like four or five books on my computer waiting to come to fruition. And I've had lifelong depression. And so one thing that is just wonderful for me is to have a whole brocade of projects. I don't know if they will all 
get birth, but I it makes me feel incredibly abundant to have almost too many projects and just sort of hold them in my collection. So uh, uh, from instead of scarcity, a sense of just abundance is mm-hmm. an, a nice way to work in. Yeah. Oh, four going at one time. I'm glad you did tell us what you have going on. <laughs> So, all right. Well, thank you again. I look forward to sharing this episode with our listeners and having them inspired on many different levels on getting started on that dream or that idea or follow their curiosity and see how something works out. Thank you so much, Anique. Thank you. It's been an honor to be here and you're really wonderful. And this project is just wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.